Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Joining us once again is Philip Terzian, the literary editor for the Weekly Standard, with another three-book set to help we mere mortals, Philip, who don't have your vast <laughs> knowledge, understand this Brexit vote. Now, I want to ask you, before we get to the specific books, were you surprised that Brexit won? Well, I was surprised only in the sense that the polls uh, showed that it was going to lose by a narrow margin. But just as in the British election last year, the polls were slightly off. So we had mm -hmm. a surprising uh, – and the fact that it, it, it didn't pass 90 to 10. It was 52-48. Sure. Britain is unquestionably divided on the question. And uh, what are the divisions in Britain that, you know, that sh showed themselves in this? And can you recommend – three books to help us understand kind of the British view of the world, where they see themselves in Europe, and this vote. Well, the the, the, the history of the relations between Great Britain and the European U uh, Union is is long and complicated and very ambivalent. I mean, Britain has always had been of two minds about the EU, and the EU has always been of two minds about Britain. Um, in this particular election, some of the di historic divisions were obvious. The to put it in political terms, the Tory right in England has always been concerned about national sovereignty and the extent to which the EU encroaches on that. The Labour left, interestingly enough, has always been uh, annoyed about the anti-democratic tendencies of the EU, namely that the people of Britain, uh, male, female, short, fat, black and white, et cetera, have handed over their self-governance to unelected, unresponsive bureaucrats mm -hmm. in, in Brussels. And that came through here. Also, the the north of England, which is a, a little poorer than the south of England, was, was more in favor of leave. Scotland and Ulster or Northern Ireland, which uh, have for unique reasons to themselves, ambivalence about their <laughs> relations. Um, they voted to remain. So there were all these, uh, there were all these um, factors that came in. The one thing that intrigued me, which no one has mentioned, is that, as I say, there has been a long history of ambivalence about British membership in the EU. And exactly 40 years ago, um, uh, well, 42 years ago, in 1974, when there was a general election, the Labour leader, Harold Wilson, pledged that there would be, just as David Cameron did last year, there will be a referendum on our Membership in the EU. Britain had just joined the EU two, or two years earlier, uh, well, a year earlier. And there was a referendum in 1975, and membership in the EU uh, squeaked through to some degree. The, the, the margin was a little higher than, than, than yesterday. But um, so this, this division of sentiment about the European Union. Mm -hmm. uh, is not new. One of the books you mentioned is a Churchill book, and I can't say that I'm surprised. What's the book, and what was Churchill's attitude towards what the United Kingdom's relationship should be towards Europe? Well, the book I would recommend is uh, it's the final volume of Sir Martin Gilbert's authorized biography of Churchill, which is called Never Despair, and it's about Churchill after World War II. Churchill, um, uh, of course, was defeated in the 1945 election, and he became a kind of uh, prophet of European political unity after the war. I've always thought, cynically, it was one way for Churchill to keep his toes in the water right. after he'd been thrown out of office, and that there's probably some truth to that. But I think Churchill, as all people on the continent and in Britain felt after 1945, there has to be some mechanism to avoid these catastrophic conflicts through which they had just come through and which, of course, um, have had a traumatic effect on modern Europe, which I think they're still affected sure. by. And Gilbert is very – it's an interesting 
um, thing because uh, Gilbert describes Churchill's vision of what he thought a United States of Europe might be, what it might do. And of course, Churchill lived till 1965, the extent to which, uh, and of course, Britain by then still hadn't joined the what was then called the common market. And it's it's not clear, of course, what Churchill would have thought of the evolution of the European right. Union over the decades. But he was definitely in uh, in favor of what he probably thought was a kind of United Nations of Europe. What's in the second book on your list to help us kind of understand the Brexit vote? Well, the second book on my list, it's actually two books. There's a man named Charles Moore who's writing the authorized biography of Margaret Thatcher. And the first two volumes, the first one takes her up to when she became prime minister in 1979. The second one takes her um, into the mid-80s when she was prime minister. It's an excellent description of the how the ambivalence the British people felt about the EU played out politically in that era. Margaret Thatcher was not opposed to British uh, membership in the European Union, but she had strong reservations about the the trends in Brussels toward greater and greater uh, sovereignty over right. countries. And, of course, Britain never joined, and we, I guess they can thank Margaret Thatcher for that, they never joined the Eurozone. So they've always had one foot outside the swimming pool. And Moore's book is, is a wonderful description of the politics and principles involved in all that. The third book I would recommend is it, – it's kind of a uh, – uh, I thought of it, frankly, at the last minute, but there's a man named David Charters who was the Times correspondent in Brussels right. for many years. He wrote a book called Europe In or Out uh, three or four years ago, still available on Amazon. But it's actually an interesting discussion of let's suppose we decide to leave the European Union. What would happen? And he he, he doesn't really have any particular point of view himself, but it's an interesting description of the possible consequences. Well, one consequence in the early hours of this, the American stock market down about 400 points, You know, a lot of monetary turmoil. Was that one of the things that he predicted? And, and my attitude as a guy who knows virtually nothing about this is that I get why people are in turmoil right now because something just happened, but the UK economy is what it is. You know, people, jobs didn't just suddenly disappear. And let's be clear, you know, Cameron can pat himself on the back for having the strongest economy in the U in in Europe. Well, that's kind of like being the skinniest guy at the Weight Watchers meeting. I mean, this is <laughs> not exactly a bunch of red hot economies over in Europe. So, Looking ahead, what are the predictions about what uh, the, Europe, the well, what this I, impact this will have on the? Yeah, I, I mean, I would disagree with you only in the sense that Europe is a, a major economic power and growing, and I think one of the reasons. But the growth is awful. I mean, this has been this anemic. You know, we had the well, crash. They had the crash with us in two thousand seven and eight. Normally, there's a bounce. America's had a lame bounce, but compared to them, we're doing, you know, we're fantastic. They've had almost no growth. You got to mess with Greece. You got the other borderline countries like Italy and Portugal. I oh, mean, sure. I'm not, I'm not suggesting things are perfect. Um, it's a, they are big economies. They're strong right. economies, but they're economies with different political systems, right, which is, which has retarded their, their growth to some degree. caused the problems in Greece, caused the, the structural problems of, of pensions and all that mm -hmm. in, in, in Scandinavia and whatnot, all of which we know about. But um, uh, as far as um, the, the immediate reaction is concerned, I mean, I always think that markets grossly overreact to news. I mean, remember that the American market dropped, what, 20% mm -hmm. in one day when Ronald Reagan was <laughs> These things happen, I think, when the dust settles and everyone takes a deep breath. 
Um, remember too that that Britain is a uh, you know is is the continent's preeminent trading partner. Mm-hmm. They're what our second uh, number two trading partner with the United States. It is a, by by worldwide standards, it's a strong economy. It's a big economy. It's an important economy, and I think that's always been one of the one of the leave arguments that uh, you know we aren't Greece. I mean, right. on our own, we will prevail. There will be problems and so on, but you know, life will go on. Is that part of the? Uh, I I guess let me ask the last question this way. I think, strangely enough, that the vote to exit is actually a pretty optimistic vote. In other words, it takes some self-confidence to say there's a lot – there's a big, cushy Brussels blanket, lots of German euros rolling around over there. We're going to walk away from that. We're going to do it on our own. Do you think that reflects reflects the moment or is there a fundamental optimism in the British character? And that's why, you know, 40 years ago it was a close question about going in. You know, and forty years later, they 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 finally walked out. Well, it is. I mean, it, it's what you might call British exceptionalism. I mean, they regard themselves as Europeans, but they are Britons. Remember too that fifty years ago, when they were trying to get in the common market, General de Gaulle famously vetoed their their <clears throat> membership application, and his his concern at the time, he said he wanted Britain in the in the common market naked. In other words, he thought of Britain as a kind of offshore. Uh, interest of the United States, and he didn't want this Anglo-Saxon invasion into the <laughs> Europe that he and the West Germans were creating. Um, and the other uh, more cynical argument, which I think there's some validity to, which the is in the back of the minds of I think a lot of Britons, is that um, you, the European Union inevitably has come to be dominated by Germany because of its size and strength and economic power. And my cynical view has always been that the the, the great thing for the Germans is, uh, for the European Union, is that if you're a strong supporter of the European Union, as they are, it enables you to be both a good European and a good German simultaneously. Because you're a good European, and of course Germany dominates the EU, so what have we got to lose? <laughs> Whereas there aren't a lot of Brits who want to be good Europeans and good Germans. Exactly. Exactly. Phil Terzian, we always learn so much when we speak to you. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.